Um, I've got an iPad here. Is that yours? I get to keep that? Or okay, yeah, yeah. It's my gift. Hey, I want you to think for a minute about a time that you were the hungriest you had ever been in your life. And when I say that, I don't mean metaphorically like hunger for a goal, hunger for the Lord. Like literally, you want food, you are starving. Okay, where were you? What was the situation? How long ago was it? When was the hungriest you had ever been? Okay, and if you can't think of that, think of, of something uh, different. Uh, maybe it's the most thirsty you'd ever been. You've been on a long hike, you ran out of water, you're stranded in the desert, you're at the top of a mountain, you just didn't think through bringing fluids with you, okay? Right? Think your mind, how, how, how bad was it really? And, and just to t- take things a step further, because that's what we do here at Beersheba, I want you to think about a time that you had to go to the bathroom really bad, Okay? <laughs> Now, you can share that with your Sunday school class, okay? We'll just not talk about that here. Um, but just think about that moment. Where were you? What was going on? And the, the, only way, the only way to really measure the satisfaction of getting to eat the food, the only way to really measure uh, the satisfaction of getting something to drink, the only way to measure the relief that you experience finally getting to go to the bathroom is understanding how bad it really was, right? Like that's the only way that we can really measure that satisfaction and that relief is how bad was it really? Um, and, and for me, I'm gonna choose the first one just to, as my gift to you and not the third. Um, but for me, the, the hungriest I'd ever been, I was on a three-day fast. Uh, I was in my mid to early 20s. I was kind of experimenting with fasting a little bit. Uh, some of it was like self-discipline reasons. Some of it was trying to seek from the Lord. Uh, we can talk about fasting another time and, and how to do it right and, and if I have ever done it right. But I was on day three of the fast and I was on a retreat with a junior high ministry that I helped work as a chaperone. I was in college, I was helping uh, with this retreat. And, and they were just, they had just tons and tons of food. A lot of junk, a lot of sweet sweets. They were making some things homemade. And, and I don't know how many of you remember some of those cartoons when you were a kid. Like you, you see this some in Bugs Bunny. It seems like lots of cartoons have done this at some point. But whenever two characters are together and they're stranded somewhere and there's no food, as they talk to each other, they begin to look like food to each other. So if one of them had long hair, their hair would turn to spaghetti and their eyes would turn to meatballs and they would be talking to the other one and their head would turn into a sandwich, like a talking sandwich, and they would begin to visualize each other as food. I I never reached the point where I descended into cannibalism on this retreat, but I got close, okay? Uh, I began watching some of the ingredients that they were making the food with and I saw a stick of butter and a, a pound of flour. And I was convinced that if I took that stick of butter and rolled it in the flour, that it would taste like a Snickers bar. Like that's, I began to get close. You can see the progression of how you get there, all right? And so I would eventually break that fast with a Papa John's pizza at midnight that night, which the next day, can't recommend, but that's another conversation for another day. And it, when, it, when it comes to hunger, when it comes to thirst, whatever the case may be, you can't measure the level of satisfaction until you can really understand how desperate you truly were in that moment. And so that brings us to our passage. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 17. And I mean, Philip basically just preached my whole sermon up here, so I don't even know I need to be up here. But in Luke 17, 
We, we see Jesus all throughout the Gospels. We see Jesus healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, displaying grace and mercy to people, all the while proclaiming the truth of his coming kingdom. And, and when we get to verse 11, in Luke 17, 11, we read the account of Jesus meeting and healing 10 lepers, okay? Uh, but before we get into the story, what, what is a leper? What is, what is leprosy? What do we know about it? And, and I'm going to throw this out as a disclaimer. I'm going to talk a little bit about leprosy and, and what the experience of a leper was. And, and I'm going to go into a lot of detail. And just when you feel like you've heard enough and you want to check out, I'm going to go a little bit further, okay? And there's the reason for that, okay? But, but leprosy is a disease that affects the skin and the nerves. It's from a bacteria that scientific historians say was first discovered in mummies in Egypt. Okay, so this is how far back it actually takes us. The bacteria that causes leprosy attacks the nerves and skin. It anesthetizes the body and limbs, which means it gives it this anesthetic effect. So in other words, it numbs it, right? The body loses feeling. Uh, sensation is gone, which sounds kind of cool, right? Kids, if you think about it, have you ever wanted to just not experience pain? That'd be pretty sweet, right? Like if the wasps came to sting you, it didn't hurt, okay? If you got hit with a baseball, it didn't hurt, okay? If you were trying to, if you're trying to hook a worm, the hook going into your finger didn't hurt, like that would be pretty cool, Okay, to not have that kind of pain. And so um, a, lot of, a lot of ways that we use that, lots of athletes would probably appreciate not feeling pain. Uh, mothers delivering babies, ladies, yes and amen, right? Uh, go A trip to the dentist, okay? We get a few, a few shots of that into our jaw because we would rather not feel the dentist yank one of our teeth or work on our teeth. So, so this actually has a lot of great uh, values and a lot of great uses in our everyday life. Um, but with leprosy, it's different. Leprosy starts with patches of pink scaly skin around the forehead and eyes. And it will begin to affect and impair your vision. It affects your teeth, causing your teeth to fall out. It affects your larynx as well. And so it can turn your ability to speak into, and it can turn a, a person with leprosy will have sort of a raspy, grumbly voice because of what leprosy does to the larynx. And so because it affects the skin, uh, a leper's skin would begin to develop sores and those sores would burst open and they would actually begin to ooze like pus and things like that. And, and as you can tell, a lot of times when that happens, it would have a certain odor to them. The sores would have odors, lepers would have odors. And so you could look at a leper, you could see that they had leprosy, you could hear it in their voice that they have leprosy, and you could smell on them that they had leprosy because it's had a certain odor. There's a doctor, one of the leading doctors on, on leprosy is a man by the name of Paul Brand. And uh, he, he has discovered much of what we know today about this disease. And leprosy is also known as Hansen's disease, not to be confused with the boy band Hansen from the 1990s. Anybody? Umbop? Yeah. Philip's going to close with that song, actually. So we, we talked about it. But... Um, but Brand concluded that, that while, while most diseases are painful, leprosy is one of the absolute worst because you feel no pain at all. And that's a problem. Because when you feel no pain, the body has lost its, its sensory system. The body has lost its defense system. Because a body that can't feel pain doesn't know when it's getting damaged. 
okay? A body that twists an ankle and tears ligaments and tendons, if the body doesn't know any better, the body will continue to walk on that ankle, okay? The body that breaks down, it, it doesn't know what to do. It will just continue to live life and never address what's wrong with it, okay? The body will begin to destroy itself if it doesn't have the warning system of pain. Dr. Brand gave accounts in his research on trips that he took to Africa and Asia where people with leprosy would drop food. There was one man that, that would drop food into the fire by accident and he would reach his hand into the flames and pull the charred meat out to retrieve it, all the while receiving third-degree burns on his hand, didn't feel a thing. Uh, also, Dr. Brand, while working with patients in leper colonies, would witness patients uh, walking barefoot across shattered glass with no feeling, grab the handles of shovels with nails and splinters uh, all around them, and, and would not recoil, and would use those tools all day long uh, without feeling any pain, any sensation while they were using it. He tells another story of, of trying to open a storage shed. He came across a storage shed that had this very rusted lock and he struggled to try to open that lock with a key. And this, this small uh, malnourished 10-year-old boy said, here, let me try that. And so he tries with everything in him to turn that key and he finally gets the lock open. And Dr. Brand, in his surprise, here he is a grown man and he's got this small 10-year-old boy who's able to open this lock. He said, how did you do that? And he looked at the boy's hand and the boy's hand was just covered in blood from him twisting that key so tightly. You get the idea. You twist an ankle, damage tendons, walk on it, you never know. Um, there was even one story of, of a man waking up to finding a rat chewing on the tip of his finger because he could not feel that sensation throughout the night. Um, there was a, this is the last one, I promise. The last thing I'll mention is that there was a leper who routinely would wash his face. He would take a washcloth and he would use scalding hot water to, to take that cloth and rinse his face. And the water was so hot that over time it began to uh, damage his skin, damage his eyesight, and, and caused him to eventually go blind. And so as you can tell, this is a, this is a horrible disease. This is a dreadful disease. Um, we know how to treat it now. There are still cases that remain to this day in, in some of the more undeveloped parts of the world. Uh, there are tens of thousands of cases still that, if not treated, can lead to death. And leprosy was such a serious disease in the ancient world that God's, God actually had commands and laws on how to treat leprosy and how to treat lepers. Um, if you, you can read in Leviticus 13 and 14, you don't have to turn there now, but Leviticus 13 and 14 actually has specific instructions on how to handle leprosy. And, and one, one thing I wanna show you in Leviticus 13, 46, and this verse will be up on the screen. This is a command that God gives on how to, to treat the leper. It says, he shall, referring to the leper, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So if you were discovered to have leprosy, you were removed from your family, you were removed from your friends, you were removed from your home. The very people who could love and support you and give you care, you were now removed from them and you were placed on the outside of the village, on the outside of the camp. And so what would become common is that people with leprosy, because of this, they would be removed from their own communities and they would live in community together. And 
that kind of sounds like it might be a double-edged sword because on one hand, you have all these people that can have empathy with you, that they're going through the same thing I am, they've experienced this, and we can sort of rally together, we can encourage one another. But on the other side of that, if you begin to see people around you deteriorating and, and dying and not getting any better, that can, be, that can feel like a death sentence to you as well. So not only would leprosy affect you physically, but it would affect you socially. But it, there was even this stigma that came along with having leprosy. Um, leprosy was seen as a sign of divine judgment in the time of Jesus, and rightfully so. Uh, there are certain passages in the Bible where God specifically struck people with leprosy. King Uzziah was one of those that God uh, gave leprosy. There was a, 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 a king by the name of Naaman who was a Syrian. He was given leprosy by the Lord. And so we, we see those instances, and what people sometimes do is they take those instances and they make it a rule for everybody. They say that if you ever have leprosy, this is God's judgment on you. You've done something wrong. You've been bad. God is, is smiting you, okay? And we see in the scriptures sometimes that the case, that's the case, but not always is that the case. And so not only was this a dreadful disease, but it carried this label to go along with it, that they deserve it. God is punishing them. Okay, so if we, if we just take a step back from all of that, and if we can reframe it all, it's a disease that destroys you physically, socially, emotionally. I can't imagine what it does to, to your psyche and your mental state, but it also something that affects you from a religious standpoint as well. And so I, I tell you all of this, and I go into great detail to show you how desperate these people were. This is, this is what desperation looks like, how serious it truly was, and how lost and how hopeless many of them likely felt. I'm sure it felt like a death sentence. I'm sure, and, and how long did this death sentence play out? Like how long have they had have this? Has it been five years? Has it been 10 years? Has it been their entire life? We don't know. But to live your life in such a way that you have this great big question mark over your head, will I make it out or is this the end of my life? This is what desperation looks like. And so then in verse 11, we come to Jesus. In Luke 17, verse 11, it says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, because remember, they're on the outside, so he's, they're going to come across Jesus, as, he's going to come across them as he's entering in. He was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices because okay, they're probably lifting their voices together because they're, they're raspy, so they have to sort of coordinate and you know, get the choir going. They probably had their bass. They probably had their tenor. You know, just think about it. So they all lifted their voices together to call out to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, some people wonder, like, why did Jesus tell them that? Like this is the perfect setup for Jesus to line them up. Like if I was directing this, if, if I were Jesus, right, which is dangerous, but it, it, I would just line them up and just bam, bam, one at a time, Benny Hinn style, lay them all out, heal them, like right about that. But Jesus doesn't do that, okay? Jesus marches to the beat of his own drum and for several reasons. Um, the first thing is that Jesus knew the law. Okay, Jesus, um, if anything, Jesus upheld the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, but he also knew what the law said about leprosy. He knew that these lepers needed to go and see the priest. 
Now, at this time, the priests served as not just uh, the, the pastors and the preachers of that day, but they also were kind of your local health inspectors. Because leprosy was written about in the law, lepers were required to go and to see the priest, and the priest would basically give them the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Now, the role of pastor and priest has changed a lot since then. Um, I, I, I love you. I care about you. I don't know if I want to look at your toenail fungus. Like, I don't know if I want to hear about all the things. I mean, I, again, I'll pray for you, but I don't, need to, I don't need to see the rash on your side. I don't need to. But again, we'll find a happy medium in, in all of that. But, uh, but Jesus knew the law. Jesus understood that, that to, to be validated, even for, for, the, for basically their healing to be validated and, and for these priests to see that these men were healed, they needed to go to the priest. So that was the first reason. The second thing is that Jesus is testing their faith. Jesus is testing their faith, isn't he? Because he's given them something to do. He's telling them exactly what they, what they need to go and do and... They may not necessarily believe him at his word, but they chose to, okay? Will they actually follow through? Will they take Jesus at his word? Will his command be good enough for them to follow? And I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves sometimes, is that we know what we want. Jesus is telling us to do a certain thing. Jesus is telling us to take a certain step. Is that good enough for us? Is the word from Jesus good enough for us? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. And so the passage continues, the story continues. It says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Now that word, you can go back to that slide. That word cleansed is is a Greek word uh, called katharizo, okay? What that means is they were cleansed, they were cleaned from head to toe, top to bottom. Last week we talked about Jesus turning water into wine and how it wasn't just your average buy at on the bottom shelf at Kroger top wine but this was the absolute best wine okay because this is the work that Jesus does when Jesus does something he does it right he does it well it's the very best okay the same with Jesus here when Jesus cleanses you he cleanses you from head to toe verse 15 then one of them when he saw that he was healed he turned back praising God with a loud voice because again his voice is likely restored He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Now, in in the 21st century, we hear Samaritan, and we have a lot of positive connections with Samaritans. We think of the story of the Good Samaritan. We hear about the Samaritan laws. We know about Samaritan's purse. To us, it's a very positive thing, but in Jewish culture, this would be a scandalous thing to say. Because to many of the Jews, the Samaritans were an evil, vile, wicked group of people. They were were half-breeds. They they worshipped pagan gods. They participated in human sacrifice. These were were a nasty people to the Jewish folks. And and for us to to kind of bring it into modern day, uh, we're all victims of tribalism in some capacity. And, And what I mean by that is that we tend to identify ourselves with a certain tribe and we have negative things to say about other tribes okay do we not Uh, we do that to some degree with the sports teams that we root for okay Uh, some sports fans are more friendly with fan bases while some are more toxic Uh, we do that in our political sphere right we would tend to think uh, if we're republicans we would think that no no democrat would go back and say thank you to jesus Right? If we're Democrats, we would think no Republican would ever go back to Jesus and say thank you. Like think of, think of the person 
or the type of person that you just despise the most, right? Whether it's a generational thing too, like even sometimes the boomers feel a certain way about millennials and millennials feel a certain way about Gen Xers. Like there's so much of that going on. Just think about what is that group that you think to yourself, they would never say thank you to Jesus, right? And so for me, if I had to kind of paint a picture of it, um, I want you to think about times that you're on the highway, two-lane highway and, or, or four lanes or whatever, and there's road constructions, and so the lane is going from two lanes to one lane. And you have been warned about this merge for four miles, right? You know where I'm going with this. And if everybody just got over early, you could get through there 40 miles an hour, right, at best, okay? No one would have to stop, but then there's always that guy. He's going to ride that left lane as far as he can. And Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that we were merging over. And then all of a sudden he does it. That emboldens others to do it. And then you just have this bottleneck that takes place, right? So frustrating, right? So this Samaritan, he's the bottlenecker, right? The bottlenecker is going and he is saying thank you to Jesus. He's returning to the feet of Jesus. So that, that's kind of where we're going with that. Um, but it was a scandal in Jesus's day for the Samaritan to be the one that would return, okay? So in verse 17, then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed, the Samaritans with him. He says, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? What, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Even Jesus picks up on this. He's like, really, even all the Jewish folks, they're not gonna come back, but the Samaritan will? Interesting. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, this last part is really important. The, yes, his face made him well. They were all made well, weren't they? Like all 10 of them were made well. But this made you well phrase is different from cleansed. Uh, this is actually a, a Greek word called sozo, and this is where we get the term for salvation. Okay? This is where we get the term for salvation. So meaning your faith has not just cleansed you, but your faith has saved you. So nine lepers also received healing and wellness. But this one, this leper got more. All 10 were healed of this disease, but one was healed for all time. And this group of 10 lepers is, is a sample size of something that we see in the scriptures and even in the modern evangelical world is that one of the great themes and one of the sad themes is that, is that God's grace and mercy and forgiveness is available to us all. It is available to the entire world, okay? He, he freely gives, lovingly gives, sent his son to pay the price for all of our sins, but there will be few who seek him for all that he truly is. Because if you know anything about the biblical history of Israel, they are a people that, that truly seek the Lord for a little while until they get what they want, okay? But most of the time, they're like us. They get wrapped up in their own little world, uh, their own little lives, expecting God to do what they want him to do. No, no, not much of the, our lives surrendered to him. Uh, no pursuit of him. If I'm sick, heal me. If I'm hungry, feed me. Make me comfortable. But other than that, just sort of leave me alone. And this is something that we fall into as well. This is, this is a, there's a level of complacency sometimes that we can find ourselves in. And that complacency can numb us, okay, to the things of God. That complacency can make us numb and it can affect 
our own personal relationships. And, and in a way, it can become like leprosy to us, where we, where we lose the sensation, where we become just numb to the things of God. Whether it's the busy pace that we live life, whether it's what we choose to entertain us, what we surround ourselves with, the comforts that we surround ourselves with, all of these things contribute to numbing us to who Jesus is and what he is calling us to do. It numbs us of, of the desire that we can have to press into him and, and make this journey back to his feet and worship him much like the saved and redeemed Samaritan did. Okay, I believe that we, we downshift into complacency without realizing it. It's just kind of something that happens. And last week we talked about the abundance of God. We talked about how, how God definitely over the course of our life is, is lavish and abundant. But we also talked about how sometimes God gives us exactly what we need. Sometimes he gives us specifically what we need. And this quote by A.W. Pink, I think, uh, summarizes this very well. He says, instead of a river, God often gives us a brook, which may be running today and dried up tomorrow. Why? To teach us not to rest in our blessings, but in the blesser himself. That makes all the sense in the world to me. Okay, because we can, we can walk alongside our spouse who has cancer and when we get the blessing of remission, we want to celebrate and we want to rest in that. And we should. Whenever we're in a financial bond, we're in a financial struggle and, and something happened and God works something out and he makes that payment happen for us or we get that money somehow, we, we rejoice in that blessing and we celebrate that and we should. But somewhere along the way, we get caught up in just that blessing and we don't, we don't return back to the blesser. Just like those nine lepers. Those nine lepers, they found rest in their blessing. They found rest in their healing. But one wanted more. He wanted the blesser. He wanted more of Jesus because he knew how desperate he really was. Not just how desperate his body was, but how desperate and how broken his heart was. Okay, and so here's the question that I have for us today. How can we rediscover desperate? How can we discover desperate for the first time? How can we awaken ourselves? Uh, how, what if we could just redial and, and re-remember the sinful places that God has rescued us from? All, all the journey that he has brought us on. Not in a way to, to open up shame and embarrassment for us, but can we can really just sit back and just appreciate and give God thanks and praise for how far he has brought us? Okay, how much he has transformed us, how much he has saved us, and how much he loves us. There's, there's great satisfaction in knowing and embracing how far Jesus has brought us. Nine of these lepers, when they met Jesus, they got their lives back. They got their bodies back socially. They got to see their family and their friends. Nine of them got their lives back, but one of them surrendered it back to him. One of them said, I want more. So what does a life of more look like for you? What needs to change? What needs to happen? It's Jesus that makes us clean. It's Jesus that makes us new. And the salvation that he offers to these lepers and the new life that he offers to these lepers is available to me and you today. Would you bow your heads?